It's a pleasure to be here today. God is good. Amen. Let me say a word of prayer for us before we get into the message today. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Jesus, as you prayed, God, just sanctify us, God, by your word, by your truth. Uh, Today, as your word is preached, God, I pray that each one of us, Lord, would have hearts that are ready and able to receive it, God. Would you make our hearts ready soil? And Father, I pray, Lord, against every scheme of the evil one that would seek to steal, kill, and destroy. I declare that, God, that here in this place there is life and life to the full. So, Lord, I just thank you, and I thank you for every person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How about everyone turn to Genesis chapter 4 today? Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. The title of this message today, if you're taking notes, is called The Cain Syndrome. The Cain Syndrome. This is something God has put on my heart. Uh, For the past month or so, I've been waiting to preach this message. I just felt like now was the right time for God to preach, for God gave me the green light to preach this message and for God's word to go out. Genesis chapter 4. Okay, we're going to read verses 1 to 12. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Mm. That's a serious passage of scripture, ain't it? Now, the story of Cain and Abel is a very, a very famous story. But what I want to talk to you today is something called the Cain syndrome. The word syndrome means a group of symptoms that consistently appear together, a sickness and illness. And I want to talk to you about a sickness and illness, a group of symptoms that I see just continually pervading the body of Christ. And these group of this group of sickness, this group of symptoms, it always equates into one thing. It always ends up in one thing. And that one thing is isolation. 
You know, the Lord has built you and has made you for connection. Like the very framework of your brain is wired for connection. God made us as human beings to be people who desire and need connection. Okay, so I'm a nerd, right? I'm somewhat of a nerd. I know I don't look like one. Hey, no one had my back on that one. No one was like, yeah, that's right. You ain't one. You ain't. No, everyone looked at me confused. And so I, I read, I read a lot of books and I, and I'm reading a book right now called social. And it's about how our brains are wired. And it's a very interesting book. And in this book, it talks about how scientists recently have been discovering that our brains have two functions. Our brains have a They have two cognitive functions. They have a social function and then they have a non-social function. And that these two aspects of our brain, when when all the blood is flowing to the non-social areas of your brain, the social areas of your brain have less blood. And so it's harder to use those, access those areas. And then when all the blood is flowing to the social areas of your brain, the non-social functions usually suffer. That's why when usually you're doing work and someone comes up to you, and tries to talk to you when you're doing work, you're really mean. Or is that just me? <laughs> you know, you, you ever noticed how when you're working on something or you, you're doing some sort of activity, if people try to interrupt you in that moment, it's a lot of times really hard to be social, right? It's harder for us to be, I mean, some of us are a bit more sanguine than others, so you're always looking for someone to interrupt your work and you can never get anything done. But... Our brains are actually wired in such a way in which we have a social function and a non-social function. But what scientists are discovering nowadays is that the default function, the default place of your brain, the deep, the area where the brain, where the blood in your brain flows when you're not doing anything is the social function. Meaning that the default network of your brain is to think socially. Meaning that you think about yourself, you think about other people, you think about your relationships to other people. You naturally, all of us, are inclined towards connection. They tested this out because they looked at, they even noticed that with babies, you know, you would think that your default need is food, water, shelter, right? You know, that's what I need more than anything else. But they found with babies that if babies get food, water, shelter, but they don't get connection, those babies suffer. And they suffer, they don't, they don't live long even, or they have, they have disorders, their brains don't develop properly. And they, they're finding out that one of our core needs in life is connection. Even as you get older, your core needs is connection. One of the biggest fears that we have as human beings is rejection. Why? Because God has made us in such a way where we desperately need connection. But the Cain syndrome is all about creating in the body of Christ isolation. See, isolation is, this, is, is the opposite of connection. You can either be well connected, you can either have a family and have people that you are connected with, or you will be in isolation. And I find that the Cain syndrome is constantly isolating people in the body of Christ. You know, if there's one place, if there's one area, if there's one community where I find people struggle with isolation the most, it's in the body of Christ. Some of you came in today, you're a newcomer, and the first thing you want to do as soon as I say amen at the end of this sermon is leave. You feel separated. You don't feel connected. You feel like you're on the outside. Even some of you that may have been here for so long, you struggle because there is this disease, there is this 
uh, in the body of Christ today that causes us to be isolated from one another. It's a sickness. I hate being sick. How many of us hate being sick? I can't stand being sick. If there's one thing in life I can't stand is being sick. Because I'm a grown man. I'm 29 years old. But when I get sick, I become five years old. <laughs> Sickness has a way of weakening us. It has a way of isolating us, right? You, you, become, you get in your room. Your room becomes its own personal quarantine unit. You never leave. I hate sickness, and I hate the fact that there's this syndrome in the body of Christ. And so I'm going to give you three, I'm going to give you three symptoms of the Cain syndrome. And it's found here in the life of Cain. It's very interesting, the life of Cain. Cain was the firstborn of Adam. The firstborn of the first man. Wouldn't you think that the firstborn of the first man would have the greatest destiny, the greatest promises over his life? But yet we find that at the end of Cain's life that Cain is isolated. He's a wanderer and a fugitive. And there's so many of us who live that way today. And so I'll give you those, give you three symptoms to the Cain syndrome. The first symptom, we're going to look at verses two to five. And again, she bore his brother Abel, talking about Eve. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In layman's terms, Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. You know, every time I would read this passage of scripture, I would wonder, why did Cain get angry? Like, why was Cain angry? I mean, he brought God, he brought God his portion, Abel brought his portion, and God blessed Abel. But, I mean, come on, like, why can't you just be happy for your brother? But it says that Cain got angry. And the interesting thing, the difference, I was like, why did he get angry? I guess he got angry because he expected to, to be blessed, right? He expected that God would look at his offering and say, you know what? I bless you, Cain. But it says that God didn't even look. It didn't. He had no regard, not just for Cain's offering. He had no regard for Cain and his offering. So Cain brought his offering up. Can you imagine this picture? Abel's bringing up the little lamb and the lamb. Bah. And Abel's just like, you don't even know what's about to happen. And then, and then Cain's holding up some fruit. He's got some grapes. You know, he ain't even killing nobody. He ain't killing nothing. And he just sets it before God. And then Abel gets all violent in front of God. And then God doesn't even look at Cain. He just turns to Abel. And I was like, well, I could understand he got angry because he expected much. But then the issue was that he gave a little. See, the, the first symptom of the Cain syndrome is that a person with a Cain syndrome, they give a little but they expect a lot. Cain brought God an offering, but his brother Abel brought God a sacrifice. God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice because it was, it was radically different than Cain's sacrifice. Abel's sacrifice required faith. Abel, Cain's sacrifice did not. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. How was Abel's gift a gift of faith? It was because he brought God the first. 
See, there's many people in the body of Christ today who want God to bless them. They want God to show them their blessing. They want God to touch their lives, but they're constantly bringing to God the little. They're constantly bringing to God the after. They're bringing to God, oh, well, I'll just give just a little God, but I expect a lot. You know, God, I'll just come to church on Sundays, but then when God doesn't bless their lives or when they don't experience the blessing of God, they're bitter and angry. They come before God and like, well, God, I came to church on Sunday. I gave a tithe. God, why aren't you blessing me? And it's because in the body of Christ, we've been convinced that you can give a little to God and expect a lot from God. See, we think that if I can just bring God a little, God will give me a lot. Cain brought God a little, not just in terms of quantity, but in terms of quality. God was pleased with Abel's offering because he brought to God all he had. When's the last time you brought to God the first? When's the, when's the last time you brought to God the best? You know, if you bring to God the best, God will always show up with his blessing. In worship, if you come before God and you say, God, I'm going to worship you with the best of what I have, then that's when God pours out his blessing. But, you know, many times we bring before God our best. Some, we bring before God our least and we bring other things our best. I'm going to bring my best effort to my job. But when it comes to bringing God worship, I bring him just a little. In finances, we bring God. Oh, well, God, here, just take my 10 percent. Here, God, just take a little bit. Take my 10 percent after I've already spent most of it. I'll give you my 10 percent last. Because we have this habit of bringing to God a little and expecting a lot. You know, Cain was angry because he thought that he deserved a blessing from God, even though he only gave a little. And the Cain syndrome is marked by this kind of false expectation. You know, so many in the body of Christ give a little and expect much. And then when God doesn't answer, they get bitter at God. They get fallen in their spirituality. Not knowing that, you know, the cost of following Jesus is not a little, it's a lot. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote, he said that when God calls a man, he bids him to come and die. That when God calls you into Christianity, when you become a Christian, it's not a call to give God a little. It's actually a call to give God everything. But see, Cain, he didn't understand that. You know, when Jesus went to his disciples and he said, come, follow me, he wasn't saying, hey, come, follow me today. You know, for many of us, we hear God say, come, follow me. We're like, OK, I'll come follow you Sunday. And then Monday comes around and we go back to whatever else we were following. And we're waiting on Sunday to come around for Jesus to say, hey, come, follow me. And then, OK, I'll follow you again. And then we wonder why we don't experience God's supernatural power in our lives. We wonder why we don't experience God's presence and God's power. And it's because we're only bringing God a little when God requires the best. You know, in America today, I was reading, I'm reading this book. I read a lot of books. Uh, it's a book called Bad Heretics. And it's about how, it's about why in America, why America is experiencing the kind of failures in different areas that it's experiencing why is a society that america continues to go downhill and the writer he's a new york times writer he's he's catholic but he's a new york times writer and he said that the reason why 
America continues to go downhill is not because of the moral failures in the media. It's not because of the political failures. He said the reason why is because the Christians no longer live by a, they no longer live a Christianity that requires much of them. And because the Christianity is just a cultural Christianity where they believe that they can just give God a little and God will give them everything. And it's just a me, 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 self-centered kind of Christianity. Then the Christians in the society have no kind of impact. They don't have a voice. They don't have any kind of impact into the larger society because their Christianity is all me focused. And it's all about not how much can I give you, God. It's about How much can I get away with? See, Cain, that was Cain's mentality. Cain's mentality was not, God, how can I bring, how much can I give to you, God? Can I give you the first? Can I give you the best? Can I give you the first of all of my produce? Even if I don't know I'm going to have produce the next day. That's what Abel did. Abel brought the firstborn, which means he brought the firstborn before he ever knew there was a secondborn. He brought God the best, not even knowing whether or not there would be anything else for him. That's faith. See, Abel's heart was, God, how much can I give you? Cain's heart was, God, how much can I get away with? And when God saw that, he didn't want to bless Abel. He wanted to bless. I mean, he didn't want to bless Cain. He wanted to bless Abel. See, the first issue with the Cain syndrome is that it's a primary It's primarily an issue of worship. How much are you willing to bring before God? See, when Cain had this issue, when Cain was bringing just a little before God and then he expected more. But then God didn't bring it to him. And so he gets angry. And that brings us to our second point. The second the second symptom of the Cain syndrome is that the person with the Cain syndrome thinks that their problems are external rather than internal. Verses six to eight. It says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why are your, why has your face fallen? I love when God asks you a question because usually when God asks you a question, he knows the answer. He just thinks you don't know the answer. He says, wait, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? And then he gives him some advice. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. One of our intern pastors, she preached a message about Cain. And she said that when God spoke to Cain in this moment, it was grace. That it was God saying, Cain, hold on. Why are you upset, bro? Hey, listen, Cain, I know that I didn't bless you, but hey, why are you upset? Here, you want to do well? Here's some advice. Deal with sin. You want to do well, Cain? Here, deal with this sin that's crouching at his door. Its desire is to rule over you, but you've got to master this, Cain. You've got to master this sin in your life. God gives Cain some advice. That's so gracious, right? He tells Cain what Cain can do in order to step back into the blessing. And, you know, I think if we think like, you know, if God, if I was in that situation and God spoke to me, I'd listen, right? I'd do it. But God speaks to Cain and then Cain turns around. And what does it say that Cain does? Does it say that Cain goes to his prayer closet and starts coming up with a 10 step plan to deal with his sin? You know, God's like, you need to deal with your sin. You need to deal with this sin. You need to overcome it because it's waiting to try and master you. And Cain's like, you know what, God, you're right. Okay, so I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to stop hanging out with these people. I need to stay away from this. No, no, Cain doesn't do that. 
Cain doesn't come up with a plan to deal with his sin. Cain turns around and he goes to Abel. Why does he go to Abel? He goes to Abel and then he, what does he do? He says, Cain spoke to his brother. He spoke to his brother. And it says that in, it says in the footnote, if you have ESV, it says in other versions, it says that Cain spoke to his brother. Let's go out to the field. That means that Cain already had it in his mind and his heart that he was going to do something vile to his brother. I mean, I'm an older brother. I've got, I've got a younger brother. And we used to always do pro wrestling. And so anytime my brother was like, I wanted to pro wrestle, but my, I wanted to do wrestling, but my brother didn't, he'd usually be in the room playing video games. And I would just walk in the room and be like, hey, Rashad, hey, come out to the living room for a second. <laughs> and he'd always think like, I got like, I got something for him. I'm like, yeah, I got something for you. And then he'd come out. And as soon as he'd come out, I'd like pick him up and slam him. He was safe. I'm only preaching this message because I've gotten over it. The Cain syndrome. He tells his brother Abel, he, he goes from talking to God and God's talking to him about his internal problem. And he goes and instead of dealing with his internal issue, he instead goes and kills his brother Abel. Why? Because in Cain's mind, he thought that his issue was not internal. He thought his issue was external. And he thought that if he could just deal with his brother Abel, then everything would be all right. See, there's so many of us that when God speaks to us about our issues, when we have issues of worship, the first thing we do is we don't look internally and start dealing with some of our own issues. We start blaming other people. We start saying, well, if I could, if this person would change, my life would be different. If the church would change, my life would be different. If this circumstance changed, my life would be different. If in, we, we keep having that kind of mindset. Cain's mindset was that if Abel was out of the picture, then I could get the blessing. Why else would he kill his brother? And so many of us in the body of Christ today, we think that our problems are external. Oh, why do you struggle with this sin? Well, because because this happened to me. Because this person. Why? Why do you continue to struggle at your workplace? Well, if I had a different boss, you know, if my boss changed, then my circumstances would be different. Yeah, true to a certain degree. But why don't you change first before trying to change your boss? You know, the first step in your circumstances changing, the first step is not your circumstances changing, it's you changing. Because when your perspective changes, when you change, when you deal with some of your internal issues that are going on, it changes the way that you interact with your circumstances. But for many of us, we think that our problems are external, not internal. And this is a part of the Cain syndrome. You know, the Cain syndrome tells you that your problems are external rather than internal. But the gospel tells us that our problems are primarily internal. The gospel tells us that our problems are primarily internal, that there is a sin nature that we battle with, that there is something called the flesh. And though our spirit may be willing, our flesh is weak and that we have to crucify the flesh and its passions and desires. If we want to walk by the spirit, that we have to put our flesh to death. If we want to walk in love, joy, peace, and kindness, if we want to walk in those ways, we have to deal with our internal issues first. 
But for many of us, we think that our issues and our problems are primarily external. But when you think that your issues are primarily external, you cut yourself off from God. You cut yourself off from people and you cut yourself off from everything else around you because you get filled with bitterness and blame. One of the biggest problem, I think, in the Christian walk, the biggest hurdle for us to overcome as Christians day in and day out, I don't believe it's sexual immorality. I don't believe it's debauchery. I don't even believe it's homosexuality. I believe ultimately it's unforgiveness. That's why, that's why forgiveness and unforgiveness was one of the biggest issues Jesus talked about. Matthew 6, he says, if you do not forgive your brother his sins, your heavenly father will not forgive you yours. Jesus uses the strongest language in the New Testament, not towards sexual immorality, not towards debauchery, not towards any of these other things that take up most of our thoughts. He uses it primarily to talk about unforgiveness. Matthew 18, the unforgiving servant, the, the king says, throw him into the area with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Every time I read that, I'm like, that's harsh. That's because if you don't deal with your internal issues first, you never get to the point where you can impact the people around you positively. It cuts you off from God. It cuts you off from other people. And it's by the measure in which you've experienced God's grace for your internal issues that you're able to extend grace to those around you. See, the Cain syndrome comes in and tells us our issues are, are external rather than internal. And then the third thing is that the third thing about the, the Cain syndrome is not only does it push our, our focus outward where we blame, but then it causes us to then absolve ourselves of responsibility to the people around us. After he kills his brother Abel, Cain's probably, he's stone cold. He's stone cold Cain. He's just look at him. Verse eight and nine. He says, Cain spoke to his Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, I think there's multiple reasons why this is wrong. First off, he uses the same word that is used to describe Abel. You know, it says that Abel was a keeper of sheep. Abel was a shepherd. And then Cain turns around and says, wait, am I my brother's shepherd? Why should I care about anyone else? And the second reason is he just killed him and lied before God. But see, what happens is when you find yourself disconnected from God in worship because you're only bringing to him the minimum, the next step is that because your, your intimacy with God is cut off, you lose the sensitivity to recognize the internal issues you need to deal with. Because, see, when you bring your when you come before the presence of God with everything, God begins to help you be renewed from the inside out. But then but if that's not happening, then the next thing that happens is an inward self-centeredness. There's a void that that gets planted inside. And then after a while, the only person you care about is yourself. Am I my brother's keeper? Why should I care about anyone else? Why should I care about 
what's happening in my brother's life? Why should I speak up when I see someone else falling? Why? It doesn't affect me. Why should I pray for the Christians in Iraq? I'm in Korea. It doesn't affect me. You know, when I was scrolling on the newsfeed, I found myself getting more and more desensitized to what I was hearing happening in the world. And that scared me. And it stopped me for a moment. And I realized, wait, if I if this is my heart posture towards the suffering of other people, then something's wrong in my, my connection with God. And that means that there's something going on inside my heart I need to deal with. And ultimately, all these things together, it ends up in isolation. We've had people leave the church. And I believe it's because of the Cain syndrome. Maybe some of you, you're coming in and you've not been in church for a very long time. It's your first Sunday in church and you're thinking, well, it's because that church was that way or that church was that way or that. When God's saying, hey, maybe the issue was your worship. Maybe the issue was your heart. Maybe the issue was the disconnect that you were experiencing with other people. Maybe you've been walking in this Cain syndrome. God said to Cain after he said. He said, the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. You know, there's so many people nowadays who are just wandering in their Christian walk. They go from church to church, place to place. They come into the house of God whenever they feel like it. There's no commitment. And they're disconnected. They're disconnected from God. They're disconnected from their livelihood, their calling, their destiny. And they're disconnected from other people. And it's because of this Cain syndrome. So, this is the syndrome. What is the solution? I put you in a pit. Now we got to get up out. You know, because if this is our problem, if this is our diagnosis, what's the medication? Because there's one thing, I don't know about you, but I don't like just being diagnosed. There's no power in diagnosis. You know, if you go to the doctor and he's like, well, check it out, you've got a cold and he doesn't give you any medicine, he's a bad doctor. <laughs> you know, there's no power in diagnosis. For many of us, that's where we find our identity. We're constantly diagnosing ourselves and we can constantly talk about what's wrong with us, but there's no power in diagnosis. There's no power in diagnosis. There's only power when you get the prescription and you go get the medicine. You, and you take that medicine. You can, some of us, that's trouble. We go to the Korean place and then we get those little seed things and then we stop taking it after a week because it's like, what does this do? <laughs> there's, no, there's no power in diagnosis. See, you got to recognize that you have the Cain syndrome, but then you've also got to ask yourself, okay, if this is my problem, what is the solution? And the solution's always the same solution for all of our problems. It's that one son of Adam gets replaced by the son of God. That where Cain fell, Christ succeeded. See, where we find that Cain had his trouble in, in worship and he only brought to God the least, Christ brought God everything. 
Christ is the firstborn. He is the first fruits of God. He was God's son who gave up his whole life. He did not hold anything back on our behalf. And when we look at Christ and we recognize that we are in Christ, that we are dead to sin and we are made alive in Christ, that gives us the power to know that we can give to God everything. That if God is faithful enough to save us from our sin, he is faithful enough, faithful enough to take every sacrifice, everything that we bring before him, and he, is, he gives that much more. You can't outgive God because God has given everything. See, what holds us back in our worship is not, is not even selfishness. It's not self-centeredness. It's a misunderstanding of the gospel. What holds you back in your worship when you lose joy in bringing a sacrifice before God, when you lose joy in coming before God, it doesn't come, it doesn't come from, oh, well, I'm just not feeling it today. It's not an emotional thing. It comes from a misunderstanding of the gospel. Because when you understand that Christ gave it all for you, then what is, what is this life? What is money? I have an eternity with God. He will provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. What is money? God, I can give you everything. What is time? I have an eternity with God in heaven. I can give God all the time that he requests. For many of us, we don't want to give God our time. Not recognizing that he's, he's bridged time in order for you to have time with him forever and not to be separated him from, from him for an eternity. What's time now? The internal problem. What, how, do we, how does he solve the internal problem? Christ took on our internal problem. He lived a sinless life. And we can know that that internal problem, he has given great grace for us to overcome even now. That every, every internal issue that we want to look away from or that we want to blame shift and project on someone else, we don't have to project. It's already been projected onto Christ and he has already defeated it. We just have to bring it before God and experience new grace. We repent of our unforgiveness when you realize that Christ has, through Christ, we have been forgiven of the greatest sin. We were enemies of God. We were far from God and God has made us close. You have been forgiven of so much. What is forgiving one person of one offense? I lived with bitterness and unforgiveness and blame for most of my life until I met the Lord. And some of you say, well, you didn't experience much. No, I did. I was abused. We were homeless. My stepdad would tell me every day how worthless I was. I had a lot to hold on to, and I felt pretty righteous in my blame. Until I came before God, and I recognized that my sin before God is far greater than any sin that someone's committed against me. And the cost and the debt that Jesus has paid for me is far greater than any debt that anyone has towards me. I can absolve them of that debt because I've got a full bank account with Christ. And, and what does that do? When we experience that grace of God, when, when we recognize through faith that we have access, Christ doesn't just save you unto eternal life. He saves you unto the family of God. That you're no longer an orphan or a wanderer, but you are someone who has been brought into the family of God. You are a son of God and you are a daughter of God. That means you've got brothers and sisters. Not for you to kill and separate yourself from. But people for you to be connected in and connected with. And how does that get exemplified? It gets exemplified in the local church. 
This place right here is is the way that God exemplifies the family of God. And how God helps to cure us of our Cain syndrome. This may be the very place where some of you have experienced defense. This is the very place where you experience restoration and freedom. And healing. And then all of that works together to cure us of our isolation. Our fears of isolation, our fears of rejection, and it allows us to actually live that kind of life that God desires for us. It cures us of our Cain syndrome. I want us to go into a time of prayer right now.